is impossible. Nothing is impossible, guys. Nothing is impossible. Thank you. So now I know how many times I have to repeat something. <laughs> guys, develop a Genesis 1.26 mindset. It's a dominion mindset. Genesis 1.26 says, Go forth, subdue, or take dominion over. So that is the mindset that you and I have to develop. If all these things that we are talking about in terms of uh, miracles, healings, and forget healings and miracles, there are so many other situations in our lives where there's nothing is impossible mentality needs to come in, man. So many other things. Like before I left, I remember saying, that we know the history of God as a supernatural God, but most of the time, our approach to life is natural. Our approach to life is natural, but we know the history of God is supernatural. We also said that we will refuse to live out of the sovereignty of God. Not we'll refuse. We, would, we, we are going to choose to not live out of the sovereignty of God, but live out of the knowledge of God. And Derek asked the question, what do you mean by that? And we said, to live out of the sovereignty of God is to live saying, whatever God wants, it will happen. That's living out of the sovereignty of God. What is living out of the knowledge of God? Living out of the knowledge of God is knowing who God is and how He operates. Living out of the sovereignty of God where you say, whatever God wants will happen, um, is the easy way out. It's not actually the Christ way. It's the Christian way. But living out of the knowledge of God is the Christ way of living. He knew his father. That's how he lived. Got to make that differentiation. So, if you, if I want this phrase that Jesus spoke, nothing, oh, just imagine it, he doesn't waste a word, he does not exaggerate. And if he exaggerates, he makes it very clear that he's exaggerating. So, he says, nothing, this is the God of the universe saying, nothing is impossible. And remember, Jesus Christ was living under the same limitations as you and I. He had chosen to come under the same limitations so that one who is redeemed is as helpless as he and as dependent on the Holy Spirit. And he says, nothing is impossible. So develop a Genesis 126 dominion mindset and you will find that you will not just have to skirt around battles, you will transcend some existing battles because it's a different way you're thinking. You won't even fight certain battles the way you fight. We'll talk about that more. So, how do we go about this, guys? Begin to establish truth on earth in your lives by agreeing with God, understanding God, and practicing what heaven says. Let me say that again. Establish truths in your life. Establish truths in your life. Establish truths in your life. How? By agreeing with God, by understanding God, and by practicing what God has said. Three very distinct things. The first step is to agree with God, saying, you know, Father, everything points otherwise, but I come to say I agree with you. But how can I agree if I don't understand? So could you by your spirit begin to enlighten my mind and begin to illuminate things in my spirit too? And now that I agree and understand, Father, I begin to practice. I put it into practice. You know, do when you come into agreement understanding and practice with the things of heaven, first begin with small things, guys. Begin with small things. Our problem is we agree, understand and practice things when we want to dissolve big things. 
Start with small things. Start with when your potatoes are not boiling quickly. Start with when um, the roof is beginning to leak. Start with when you're stuck in traffic. Start with um, when you have a pimple on your knee. Start with when uh, it's taking too long. We don't think supernaturally in small things. Therefore, when it comes to big things, we are still caught struggling when it comes to supernatural responses. We do not use this thing in small things, guys. When you begin to agree, understand and practice a dominion mindset or a mindset that knows that nothing is impossible and that God is supernatural, in small things, you will find that bigger things dissolve more easily because it's become a way of living. So what happens when your potatoes don't boil in two minutes? If they're supposed to boil in two minutes. I don't know how, how long it takes potatoes to boil. 20 minutes? Well, two, 20, whatever. That is when I need to begin to depend differently on God. Jesus said this, eh? And he used to make these statements, for truly I say to you, as in guys, do not doubt it for a second. As in please understand that I'm not, uh, I'm not just talking stuff, I really mean this. And he says, truly I say to you, if you have faith like a mustard seed, and he was only talking about the size of it. If you have faith like a mustard seed, this is where he makes that statement, nothing, nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing will be impossible for you. It boggles my mind. I can't, even, I can't even begin to swim in the statement that nothing will be impossible for me. Questions, comments before we go on? Our, our usual way of dealing with big things is when they arrive, we deal with them and we try to exert faith. But because we have not exerted faith in the small things, we are not able to handle the big things well. You can't handle a small dog, you won't handle a lion. I mean, I remember this guy called Eduardo, who was with Dano and uh, Eddie and me in South Africa. Um, big guy, uh, he was twice my size and tall. <laughs> but he... He was scared of little dogs because of some bad experience or the other. I mean, I remember when we went to the lion farm, there were these little cubs, lion cubs. And uh, we went in there and we were playing with it. And finally, Edward decided he was going to step in and touch one of the lion cubs. And he went to touch them. And instead of catching the head of the lion, he ended up holding the tail of the lion, cub. And it was so funny. I got a video of it. You know, it says the men shall lead uh, lions. Here, wherever the cub went now, Eduardo was scared to leave the tail. And so he's walking around the lion enclosure, a really big man following a lion cub all around. Small little dog he used to be scared of. They have a little dog called, um, what's that drink? Milo. Uh, they, um, <laughs> Yvonne and Eddie have a small dog called Milo. Little fellow, huh? not even as big as your foot. Eduardo was scared of that. The point being, when I'm scared of these little things and don't know how to respond to them, when they lead me, instead of me leading them, then when the big things come along, we are unable to handle it. Be supernatural in small things. Be supernatural in small things. Be supernatural in small things and you will not have a problem with big things, guys. It's the way it works. Any other questions? Please. Uh, in 
Timothy 2.7, I was reading the other day about this, and this is what it says. Think what I am saying, and the Lord will give you understanding. Think about what I am saying. Second Timothy what? 2.7. Nice. Think about what I am saying, and the Lord will give you understanding. Yeah. There's a word to go, go over this and over this and over yeah. Good, eh? Where you meditate on something and the understanding keeps happening. Don't take an easy way out of fear. And very often we think if God wants us to understand, we'll understand. Doesn't happen that way, guys. That's the case, Sarah, Sarah's sovereignty way of living. We've got to think to understand. Guys, so let's talk about different areas. I mean, I will touch on healing, but this is not the only area where nothing is impossible. Eh? That's just one small area. I mean, when it comes to healing, I know you've been over this, but again, don't we struggle with different issues? Agree, agree. We said agree, understand, practice. Agree that his name is Yahweh Rapha. Agree with God. That his title, that the title he gave himself is Yahweh Rapha. <laughs> to come into agreement saying, you know, Father... Regardless of the pains in my body, regardless of what may be happening in different organs, I agree that your title, a title that you self-gave yourself, because no one can give you titles, is Yahweh Rafa, as in God my healer. Agree that he is not neutral in the midst of your sickness. Agree that he is not neutral in the midst of your sickness. We've talked about these points, I'm just refreshing your mind with them. We, sometimes we struggle with this thought that God is perhaps not, God is surely not against me, but you're not convinced He's for you. And in the middle of pain, it's so hard to think, why can't God just make it go away? But understand that He's never neutral in the middle of your sickness. Even when you're bitter, He's still for you in your sickness. Because the, the place He reveals His title as Yahweh Rapha is at the waters of Mara. And Mara means bitterness. That's where he reveals his name. Agree that sickness is not his will in heaven and therefore not his will on earth. Let me say that again. Agree that sickness is not his will in heaven. It is not his will. Matthew 16. Whatsoever you permit, legitimize, lose in heaven is what can be permitted, legitimized and loosed here on earth. Matthew chapter 11. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, meaning your rule and reign come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Agree that sickness is not in his will in heaven. Therefore, it is not his will on earth. So do we have sickness around us? Obviously, everyone here has been through it. But is this his will in heaven? No. And therefore, it's not his will on earth. As it is in heaven. Understand guys that he's filled with compassion towards me when I'm sick. Understand that he's filled with compassion. It's, it's never punishment. God does not punish. He disciplines. He does not punish. And why doesn't he punish? Because he punished Jesus. Jesus was my atoning sacrifice. Atonement means one that takes the wrath that's due me. God does not punish. He disciplines. 
But know that in sickness, God is compassionate towards me. And when you're in pain and you're hurting and everything in you is screaming and saying, how come you're not doing anything? In the middle of that anger and that agony, sometimes you've got to remember that this God is compassionate to me in my sickness. And it is his compassion that provokes him to heal. More than power, it is his compassion that provokes him to heal. More than power, it is his compassion that provokes him to heal. Understand that it was through Jesus and by Jesus' stripes that healing is now a benefit that I can... um, uh, What's that word? Uh, Grasp? Uh, Appropriate. Yeah. Know that it was through Jesus' punishment and stripes and by Jesus' stripes that I on earth can now appropriate appropriate healing. Why do I use the word appropriate healing? Because it is not even something I have to ask for. It is something I have to take. I have to make mine. It is not even, do you go and ask your ATM machine for cash? Could you give me some money? No, no, no. You go and take the money because it is now yours. Through Jesus' death and punishment, healing has become something that I can appropriate. God the healer, through the stripes laid on Christ, has made healing a benefit of his death that is now put in my bank account, which I can now appropriate in the name and by the stripes that Jesus bore. Understand that my experience, or Paul's experience, or Job's experience, still does not diminish or interpret what God said about himself. Let me say that again. Understand that neither my experience, nor Paul's experience, nor Job's experience, either diminishes or interprets what God has clearly said about himself as healer. So, does that mean, Jacob, that you throw Paul's thorn in the flesh out and throw Job's condition out and throw Timothy's stomach problems out? No. It means I interpret them in the light of what God has said about himself. I must do that. Scripture has to be taken in its tapestry, in its entirety, in all that God reveals about himself. There's a thing in scripture called the principle of first mention. And the principle of first mention is where God establishes who he is in certain areas by revealing something about him. And now that I know he's revealed himself this way, now I begin to see everything else. I mean, we do it here on earth when we do research. We have something called a control. Is that what it's called? Where you have something that's not changeable and then you control? Yeah. God is this control. um, His word is this control specimen that we measure everything against. Understand that Jesus loves healing. And he healed all who came to him. But Jacob, there are so many that I, I, I hear you, I uh, even agree with you. But this I know, that Jesus loved healing and he healed everybody that came to him. Guys, he is a visible representation or representer of this eternal, invisible, healing God who is Father. Jesus is the visible representation or representer 
he represents once again the invisible, eternal, healing God that we believe in, who happens to be a father. He is represented and represented by Jesus Christ, who is his visible image. And understand that just as in Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2, the Holy Spirit is rearing, rubbing his hands in glee as he waits to undo the chaos of sickness and restore wholeness and shalom into a situation as you begin to speak. Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2 are so vital to this whole idea of bringing order and shalom or wholeness into chaotic situations. Because as God spoke, the Spirit of God who was hovering over this chaotic, vain, empty place began to bring order and wholeness. And so who speaks now? We speak as we hear God speaking and bring order and wholeness and shalom into a situation. Spirit of God is still doing it. But that is not my experience. I would like to respond rudely by saying who cares and I won't. So instead I'll say... But I understand your experience may be different, but God does not work like that. God is not confined or restrained by your experience. God is not confined or restrained by your experience. I cannot interpret and define God according to my experience, your experience, Paul's experience, Job's experience. Cannot. Because he defines himself and he says I can't swear by anyone else. Any questions before we go on? And if you have any questions, may it not start with a but, because I've already rebutted the but. Any questions? This is who God is, guys. How can you argue, eh? How can you argue? If God says this is who he is, how can you argue? I have reasons to argue. You know how my dad died. I should be arguing. I don't. Because I know who God is. And my dad will have to be secondary to who God is. My dad's experience, my dad's experience defining the God of the universe. Am I nuts? Guys, here's a statement that may not sit well with us and that's always okay in this church. When you believe, if it is God's will that I be healed, could it be, I'm just being diplomatic, let me change the way I phrase that. When you believe, if it is God's will that I be healed, may I suggest to you that you're operating out of a state of unbelief? When you believe that if it is God's will, I will be healed, yeah, when you believe that if it is God's will, I will be healed, then may I suggest to you strongly that you are operating in a state of unbelief. We live out of three stages, guys. We live out of experience, we live out of sovereignty, or we live out of the knowledge of God. We live out of experience, we live live out of sovereignty, or we live out of the knowledge of God. What's living out of experience? My experience defines what God says, how He will do, and what will happen. What's living out of sovereignty? I live out of this place where my thought is, if God will, he will. If he doesn't, he won't. That's not a wrong place, but it's an incomplete, a very incomplete place. 
And then there's a third place, Alevarov, which is the knowledge of God, where I know who he is and what he's going to do based simply on what he speaks and says and has repeated again and again and again and again and again. So I would suggest to you again strongly that if when you believe, if it is God's will, I will be healed, you're operating in a state of unbelief already. Mark 9.23, you should read it in the message. Listen to this, don't turn there. Mark 9.23, Jesus said, If there are no ifs among believers, all things are possible for one who believes. Can you believe that? He said it then. I know in the other versions it says it differently. In the message it puts it this way. Mark 9.23 Jesus said, If there are no ifs among believers. What a, what a crazy statement to make. That there are no ifs among believers. What's he trying to say? That listen, if you know me, you will say, I know or I don't know. You will not use if. I just quoted Mark 9 and 23. I understand it's from the message. So some of us may find it difficult to accept that as scriptural truth. Well then go to whichever version and it still carries the same intent. Ifs, there are no ifs among believers. All things are possible for one who believes. So when I get sick, one of the things... Um, I do is I, I I first see what I need to see about my sickness, but not not in terms of oh how sick am I, but I first try to examine okay Jacob what do you see about your sickness in terms of God and then I mean uh, uh, then I start literally repeating or speaking what I believe of God as a healer because I need to see God as who He is in my sickness. I need to see it. Okay, let me give you an example. Yesterday morning, which seems so far away right now, yesterday morning, um, uh, because of getting this really heavy um, carry-on that I was carrying the wrong way, my arm got twisted like this and I couldn't move this arm. So for the next five hours in Frankfurt, I was holding this arm carefully, not leaning against I couldn't even um, button my shirt together because any pain, any uh, uh, strength here would begin to uh, bother my arm. And I don't know what got pinched or what didn't get pinched or whatever happened. So I'm holding it gingerly and I'm already thinking, but you've got to play the guitar and the strap is on your shoulder, so how are you going to do that for tomorrow? And that is my natural way of thinking. Because 24 hours prior to playing the guitar, I'm already planning what I won't be able to do. I'm beginning to see things about my sickness that have nothing to do uh, with God in the equation because that didn't occur to me. So I'm already thinking of, oh shucks, um, Chris won't be there to play the piano. Perhaps Jason can uh, play the guitar and I can sing and Marcus can drum. So already my mind is thinking of eventualities and I'm trying to make adjustments and God is not in the equation. And then at some point I realize what I'm doing. And I'm thinking to myself, I might need help after I put my suitcase up. I might have to ask some good-looking guy, not good-looking guy, like good-looking um, uh, strong guy to get my suitcase of the thing. I'm making plans already. And then I had to stop and 
by now I'm in the aircraft, I've somehow managed to put the suitcase up with my left arm, and now I'm sitting there, and I'm beginning to talk, looking out of the window, and I'm beginning to talk. And what am I saying? Uh, Father, let me tell you who, who I think you are. And I started saying, who he is. You're this amazingly compassionate God, who really knows the pain I'm going through, and who knows um, um, what to do. You're the same God who for the last 25 years has been healing me. Oh, isn't your name Yahweh Rapha? God, my healer. Uh, brutally striped you were, right, Jesus? Brutally striped. Overpaid for my healing, didn't you? Spirit of God, you're just waiting to do something, right? Fix my arm up. Fix my shoulder up. And I now I'm beginning to see the finished work of who Christ is and what he has done for me. And has the, did the pain go away? No, it didn't. It was still there. And so I'd rest it and then I'd go and check it out and I'd say, Father, but it's still there. And then again see who he is. Woke up this morning and I'm thinking to myself, as usual, Abba, you've done it again. It's gone. It started going yesterday, but this morning I didn't even feel it. But what I'm trying to say is, guys, got to see the finished work. Because sometimes you don't get what you pray for, you get what you believe you've received. Sometimes it's not what you're praying for, it's what you already believe of Him that you receive. Let me say that again. It's what you believe of Him that you receive. It's what you believe of Him that you receive. It's not necessarily what you pray for, it's what you believe of Him that you receive. Uh, if they believe in God without necessarily attaching it to an idol, uh, because man knows that God is present, God still is a rewarder of anyone who shows faith. God still is a rewarder of anyone who shows faith. Uh, oh yeah, when it comes to faith, guys, remember faith works for the unbeliever and believer, and works regarding anything you believe. People have faith in the devil. People have, Christians have faith for things not to work out. Let me say that again. Christians have faith for things to work out bad. I know I've told this to you before, but I remember a time in, uh, in 1996 to 95 to 97, I had faith that if I went out witnessing on the streets and giving out tracts and talking to people in East Hastings, that when I come back, something would happen to my car. Because it happened two or three times, and so I expected it every time. And every time I came, it would be towed, or there would be a parking ticket, or something would be wrong. I had faith for it, man, that something wrong will happen. Faith is this odd thing that you can put in anything, and surprisingly, uh, it has the capacity to bear fruit. Why? Because it's the substance of things unseen. Meaning it's the proof, or the evidence of things that you're hoping for, on haven't seen yet, but you already believe for. I'm not saying prayer doesn't work even, I mean, hundreds of times, man, God has answered prayer in my life just because He was compassionate, kind, merciful, good. <laughs> and then there are other times when He says, hey, you've grown up far too much now to go on that thing of, uh, Father, if you will, do it, do it, please. No, 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 get to know what I want. Now believe who I am so that you may receive from what I am. 
Mark 11.23 Because you do not doubt Mark 11.23 or thereabouts Because you do not doubt Because you do not doubt In your heart But believe that what you say will come to pass it will be done for you split it up this way So, because you do not doubt, doubt is hesitation, two minds about something. I got to fight this so often, man. I'm not talking about sickness now, I'm talking about anything. Lack of confidence in God. Happens to me so many times where I see a situation and immediately the first thing that comes up is two minds, lack of confidence in God, hesitation. That's the first thing that grabs me. Because you do not doubt. And every time it grabs you, again you go back to seeing who God is in that situation. So Jacob, isn't this tiring? It can be if you don't enjoy it. Can be if you don't enjoy it. Otherwise, didn't matter how many times I was sitting at Calgary and didn't matter how many times the internet would go on. I'd go back, open the browser, click on the NHL network, go back to the game, watching the Pittsburgh Penguins play the Canucks yesterday. Didn't matter how many times I had to do it. Kept doing it again and again. Why? Because I enjoy it. Guys, what is your ultimate aim? here on earth to reveal the father and reveal the father's business to reveal the father and reveal the father's business don't you want to become that does that become does that happen by kesara sara no yep because you do not doubt every time go back when doubt happens in your heart heart how do you define heart Hebrews 4.12 defines heart as the place where the soul and the spirit entwine. Hebrews 4.12 and 13 I think, or 12 to 16, thereabouts you'll find it. Doubt in my, that place between, uh, between the soul, uh, that place of the soul and spirit. My spirit knows it's my soul that begins to doubt. But believe, believe as in what? As in rely on, as in be confident on, of, as in be persuaded about, to be persuaded about, to be confident of, to be relying on. That what you say, that what you say, uh, rely on, confident, persuaded about, 
and confident of. That what you say, based on the word, eh, not based on whatever you want, based on the premise of the word, or premise of the rhema, be it rhema or logos. That what you say, will come to pass, as in will come to actually happen. It will be done for you. Who made the statement? Jesus. Can we take it at face value? That's our choice. Yeah. Yeah. Your words bore you into salvation, guys, in a sense of speaking. This is what Jesus said. Embrace it. Embrace it. You do not have a choice. You chose to become a Christian. You were born again to live the life of another. Embrace this. Go ahead, James. Okay, so that's one. That's uh, two. That's three. Yeah, you're right. And then sometimes things take time. But delay is not denial. Delay is not denial. Guys, why do we find it so easy to believe and agree with facts? Why do we find it so easy to believe and agree with the devil's lies instead of God? Because usually we deal with the intensity of most circumstances, first with our emotions, only then with our spirit and the will. Why do we find it easy to believe the facts and not God? Why do we find it easy to believe the devil's lies and not God? Almost always because I meet most circumstances and the intensity of circumstances, I meet them, I encounter them first with my emotions and they begin to ravage me, not with my spirit and my will. Faith, the vehicle of faith is my will. That is what I need to meet in that. Meet it at. Unfortunately, because I've grown up in this world and I don't train myself, I still end up meeting things with my emotions first. So I have tons of feelings washing over me and then now I have to try and exert faith. I must begin to learn how not to work that way. In certain areas, it seems like it's beginning to happen. In other areas, still, the first thing that hits me is confusion, fear, absolute loss uh, of um, where I'm at and that's that's how my initial reaction is. Got to change my initial reaction to things. Faith is given by God. And, uh, um, uh, we did a teaching on faith in 2012 where we talked about five different kinds of faith where there was saving faith, there was living faith, there was a gift of faith, uh, and uh, two others. Um, and so, sorry? Okay. Uh, so, um, faith is given by God, but I need to now develop it and exert it. And faith that is not developed, because faith comes by hearing God. 
So as I grow in hearing God, as in not just hearing what he's saying, but hearing the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word. As I increase in my knowledge of God, faith increases. It's like a plant. Where does the plant start in a seed? The seed is in me. Now I have to water it with the word. Water it through doing the word. And as it grows, faith increases. This is why Jesus would say to some, O you of great faith, and to others, O you of little faith. So there is, um, there is dimension to faith. Even though all of us receive the same amount of faith to start with. Go ahead, Maria. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, more than seeing it as a process, the way I see it, and which I believe is the biblical way to see it, is I know that faith, I know that healing has immediacy and patience combined, so that I can inherit the promise. Hebrews says that faith is in, uh, that the promise is inherited through faith and patience. Just listen to that. The promise is inherited through faith and patience. Which means on one hand there is this thing called faith which is believing that you have already received it which is immediacy and patience as in knowing that it shall come to pass. And so I combine both. So even when this was paining I expect the pain to go away immediately. But when it wouldn't go I would immediately say Father it's still there Abba. I just tried it, it's still there. But I combine both and have always seen it work. When I call it a process, what happens is, sometimes I'm willing to allow a postponement till eternity sometimes. Or at least for a few days. I begin to take as normal that which is not natural. But isn't sickness natural? No, sickness is an enemy. It is not natural. Do we undergo it? Absolutely. Why? Because we live in a fallen world. Is that the will of God for us? Was, never was. Part of the reason why Jesus got striped. Aren't plenty of Christians dying of uh, sicknesses? Absolutely. So what does that mean? It means that plenty of Christians are dying of sicknesses. What does it change about God? Not an iota. Why? Because he said so. But who did he swear in? Whose name did he swear? He cannot swear in anyone else's name. So he just says it plainly. Yep. No, go ahead. No worries, Jim, uh, Bill. When you think of it, just just say it again. Just say it again. When whenever. Yeah. Yeah. We we have the audacity to we have the audacity to believe that the horrible sins we have committed are washed away by the blood of Jesus. Yeah. We have the audacity to believe that. Some of the things I've done, I haven't even said to people even today because I am shocked by what I did. And I'm a guy who confesses a lot. And yet, I haven't. I mean, publicly. If I had the audacity to believe that those things could be taken away, then he did bear this thing too. Nice. Yeah. Who forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. So, so if I don't believe my sickness is healed, I don't believe 
Yeah, for some strange reason we find it easier to believe. And one of the reasons we believe that our sins are easily forgiven is because sins in the past are invisible and God is invisible and it's okay to go invisible to invisible. But when it comes to sickness, it's a very present, physical, sometimes visible reality. And then to make that go away by an invisible God we haven't seen yet, oh, that sometimes is difficult. And we are surrounded by it, guys. We are surrounded by it. It becomes very hard, guys. So even though it may look like, Jacob, you're being so um, true, but that's to destroy the other part of the audio-visual world we live in, which goes like this too. So don't think God doesn't see your effort and that He's upset. No, 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 no. He's not. Like He said, blessed are they who will believe in me even though they don't see me. That is nuts, man, that you believe in an invisible God. Blessed are they, as in happy and envious are they. Little bit of faith that you show thrills him. He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And you have been for years through through difficult circumstances. You've been seeking him continuously. You think he's not pleased? What I'm saying is let's become like Jesus. That is why this extreme view has to be adopted. Because we are taking, we, we are heading to an extreme position. Let's become like Jesus. Whew. Okay. Delay is not denial, meaning so, uh, yesterday when the pain didn't go away immediately. It doesn't mean that God is saying, okay, I'm reneging on my word. What it means is, Jacob, and God didn't say this word, delay is not denial. Eh? I begin to think knowing that immediacy and patience collide and out of it will come good things. So when something is delayed, I don't now assume that God is not in it. Why? Because I know what God has said. I know the premise of the promise and I do not now begin to move away from it. And I know that because it's being delayed, may not even be a lack of faith. But I do question always, why didn't it happen immediately? Uh, it could be denial. And if it is, I want to go and check why. When I'm standing on a promise that I know is in the word of God, I, I'll always question when things don't happen immediately. I'll always question. And I come question. Question God. I, I, you know guys, when you get to know his character, you can question him without being argumentative, defiant, hostile, angry, or a lawyer. Yeah. Though the fig tree shall not blossom, though there be no olives in the stall, though there be no cattle in the herds, and though the trees have dropped their fruit, yet I will rejoice in the Lord my God, and I will do cartwheels of joy as I wait for him. There was a time in my life where arguments would be hostile. And I'd have to, after I finish arguing with God, I'd have to spend the next two hours apologizing. Thanking God that He didn't burn me to a cinder. But now we come from a place where because we know His nature, argument or reasoning or questioning never comes from a place of hostility, anger, um, or suspicion of His character. I love what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 15 or 19. And I know I've said this before. Uh, Jeremiah says to God, you are a deceptive brook. 
You are a deceptive brook. And how does God respond? Saying, Jeremiah, if you don't stop separating the vile and the nonsensical from that which is pure and holy, and if you don't stop that tone of suspicion and distrust that you're leveling against me, this is in the Amplified, if you don't stop this, then I will stop using you as my mouthpiece. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I I check myself if there's ever a tone of suspicion and distrust in my questioning with God. Go ahead, Matt. Come running and give me a five because if I come there, the mic will begin to echo. Good for you, man. We see him best when we are single-minded in our will about his goodness. We see him best. We see him best. Thoda pani milega. We see him best when... Same thing. Thanks, man. We see him best when we are single-minded when we are single-minded in our will about his goodness. We see him best when, we, when I, I see him best when I'm single-minded in my uh, will about his goodness, in my, in, in my knowing about his goodness. Uh, this, this time when I was traveling, uh, when I, um, this happened on the 9th or 10th, and suddenly uh, I started writing this and I'm just reading it out to you. Uh, here's what I wrote. Father, I stand under your unadulterated goodness. I never used those words before. Unadulterated goodness. Meaning there is not a shred of anything but pure, pure goodness. Father, I stand under your unadulterated goodness. And what does your unadulterated goodness look like? It is full with sun-remembering love. So what does his unadulterated goodness look like? It's filled with sun-remembering love. Which sun? This sun. This Jacob. His unadulterated goodness is full with sun-remembering love. Always present before him. I cannot forget you. I've got your name inscribed on my palm. A mother may forget a child, but how can I forget you? Sun-loving goodness. Unforgetting kindness. Unforgetting kindness. We, we read in Ephesians 2, I think, that God uses the vehicle of kindness to express any and everything about himself. We forget this. God uses the vehicle of kindness to convey any and everything, including discipline, it comes through kindness. Unforgetting kindness to me. This is what goodness is. Come walk here again, compassion. I've blown it a hundred times. Come walk here again, compassion. 
Come walk here again, compassion. How many times does he have to say it on some days? 30, 40 times? Come walk here again, compassion. Can't swear by anyone else's faithfulness. Can't swear by anyone else's faithfulness. I can't swear by anyone else's faithfulness. Way opening, I go with you, son, favor. Way opening, I go with you, son, favor. Way opening, I go with you, son, favor. See what I'm doing, closeness. See what I'm doing, closeness. As in, hey, you're so close to me, Jacob. I may even, and I so dearly love you as I love Jesus, my son, as in John 5, 19, 20, 21, and 31, that uh, the kind of closeness I have with you is, see what I'm doing, closeness, so that you can also do the same. Piercing light purity. Piercing light purity. That's what I've bestowed on you, son. That's the unadulterated goodness I have. All things are possible Christ life. All things are possible Christ life. The life, not of Jesus of Nazareth, but the life of the risen Christ. All things are possible Christ life. Person of the spirit power. The person of the spirit power. Same spirit of God who hovered over the earth in Genesis 1. The person of the spirit power. This is what you give me, Father. And then, when I look at all of this, it's a small thing that I come and trust you with my life. It's a very small thing. It's kind of becomes easy when I think of your unadulterated goodness every morning. <laughs> me coming and giving you um, my willingness to trust you with my life. Uh, come on. I'll have to be dumb not to. So, sometimes you can carry them on your back. Uh, sometimes they don't need any faith. And then there are some times where... No, your faith will carry them. If they're believing for something else, there's nothing you can do. Because Jesus was limited by unbelief. Therefore, my prayers for you can be limited by your unbelief. Or by a differing belief. Uh, Mark chapter 6 verse 9. Uh, Mark chapter 8 verse 23. In both places you'll see that Jesus was limited by unbelief. Mark 6, 9, sorry, Mark 6, 6 and Mark 9, 24. Both have instances and I think 8, 23 or thereabouts. All have instances where Jesus was limited by the environment of unbelief around him. And since Jesus was as helpless as me and had to depend on the Holy Spirit. Now when I'm praying for a situation, I am limited by an environment of unbelief. Yes. Yeah, so one, 
uh, one of the things I'd love to do is go and visit him and talk to him about it so that we can all come into agreement. Um, l let me give you the situation with Ranita. When Ranita, ha we had that night prayer where Maurice and Ranita came and we all prayed for Ranita's situation. And what I did first was ask Ranita what her expectations were. Because only after that did we put it up on the board and after that did we pray. So yes, that is the way to go about it. It's just that it's more time consuming, so we prefer not to. But I remember calling her, asking her, what are your expectations, what do you want to see done? And she even had questions like, should I take medicines or should I not? And I said, I can't answer that for you. But whatever you expect and desire, that is what the church can now begin to come into agreement with. So one of the things that will happen um, is, um, I, I know what Marcus is expecting, but we will base it on the premise of the word. Because he was thrilled when they checked and saw nothing. And that was what he expected. And now this happens, so let's see how this one works. I know what happened with Eddie. And the reason I shared that loudly in front of you and with Marcus is to show the possibilities that exist. Eddie went in and they opened him up, 90% blockages, and they couldn't find the blockages. They opened his heart. They didn't do. They didn't have. He had open heart. He didn't have open heart surgery. Yeah, and therein is the aspect of hearing, because Mrs. Smith at 110 may not know, but if there have been occasions when I haven't gone and prayed for people because I know they would die in a couple of days, and they did, and it's in one case the person thought it was cruel, but therein lay the truth. Yeah, so yes, it's important to know. Uh, otherwise, my prayer can be limited, or your prayer for me can be limited by the environment of unbelief that I'm operating in. Yeah. But sometimes we so badly wish things for people that we want to see it come to pass. I, uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. 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 So, so on a Monday night prayer here, we put down the requests on the board, and after that, these are requests that have been sent from different parts of the world sometimes. And so now what, do we, what we have to do is we can't get in touch with the person, so we begin to ask God, Father, how do you want us to pray? And it's based on how he tells us to pray that we pray. And we can't go beyond, we can't go less. We've got to pray according to what he's shown. Because at the end of the day, he's the one who moves. We've got to hear. That's what happens. And so um, I believe that's the only legitimate way to do it. Hear and pray. That's how Jesus operated. Derek, did you have a question? Oh, it was just a lifting of hands? Okay. <laughs> Guys, your faith or the lack of it will speak. Huh? Your faith or the lack of it speaks. Your faith or the lack of it speaks. And therefore, it has the power to introduce into a situation life or decay. Your faith or the lack of it, or my faith and the lack of it will speak. And because of that, it will introduce into situations either life or decay. And I find that sometimes when I first speak, when a situation confronts me, I seem to still speak decay into a situation because 
faith comes a little later. I want to stop that. I want the first words that come out of my mouth to be words that have in it life in every situation. The problem though is this faith movement, what it did is it start ma- it, 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 it coaxed people to say things, confess things, but the problem with that was most people were saying things not because they believed it, but because by saying it they wanted to generate faith. So you need to ask yourself, when you say stuff, is it because you've heard it from God, you've read it of God and you believe it, or are you saying it to generate faith? So people will say, I plead the blood, I plead the blood, I plead the blood, sickness is gone, sickness is gone, sickness. Now it becomes a mantra that you're using to generate faith. While that is not evil, it's not the way God operates. God didn't, God didn't practice, let there be light, let there be light, let there be light, let there be light. Okay, I'm ready now. Let there be light. And boom, it happened. No, 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 no. He was absolutely convinced that when he says, let there be light, there will be light. Am I convinced when I speak things that my absolute belief is it is from the word of God, this is God's nature and therefore I speak it and it shall bring life. Because to use confession and saying as a method to generate faith while not evil is not perfect God. And what are we aiming for? To be like Jesus. So let the actual work happen here and here so that the words that come out of my mouth are words of life that come from the life giver who lives in me. Um, The first step would be to know him through... uh, I'm never able to dramatically wave my Bible when I want to make statements. The first thing to do is to know him through this. Yeah, no, I absolutely understood your question and I'm deliberately doing this because it is almost impossible to understand his will through hearing without a knowledge of this. That can happen for a while. But after a while, God will say, listen, I'm telling you what you need to know, but you ain't doing nothing to know me from the word that I've already given you. So this is what I know him from. And then it makes it easier to recognize whether what he's saying is from God or not from God. What what I'm hearing is from God or not from God. So this is where I start. And from here on I continue. Do you know that the woman with the issue of blood said that she would be healed once she touched Jesus' clothes? Till recently I didn't know that. I thought she just touched him and she got healed. But in Mark 5.28 it says, As she was going towards him, she said, If I touch him, I will be healed. She was... Pardon? Yeah. And and the beautiful thing is, she believed it, man. (laughs) She spoke it. That's what I meant by she wasn't saying, If I touch him, I will be healed. If I touch him, I will be healed. It wasn't generating faith. It was a statement of faith. Saying, guys, is a little... uh, Saying carries two elements in it. eh? Saying is... um, Saying involves both authority and faith. Saying is commanding something in the immediate. Saying involves authority and faith. Faith comes by knowing the nature of God. Authority comes by being submitted to the nature of God. 
This is so important, guys. I hope we get it today. Saying something involves... I'm not talking about confessing now. Jacob, isn't that too fine a line when you divide confessing and saying? Perhaps, but let's go with it. Saying involves both authority and faith. Now, faith comes by knowing the nature of God. Authority comes by submitting to the nature of God. That's why you have people who have faith but don't have authority. Because to exert authority, I have to be under authority. The centurion story. Therefore, faith comes by knowing the nature of God. But authority comes by submitting to the nature of God and the order that God has established here on earth. Let me repeat it again. This is so important that we get this. Faith comes by knowing the nature of God. Authority comes by submitting to the nature of God and the order that God has established on earth. This is when you have both combining and now you have people who are behaving like Jesus. That's how, it, that's how both collide. Faith comes by knowing the nature of God. Authority comes by submitting to the nature of God and the order that God has established on earth. When those two combine, oh, do you see why sometimes demons don't flee? Why don't demons flee sometimes? You seem to be exerting faith. You know the nature of God. You know God is a deliverer. You know God is someone who has tremendous power. So how come when I'm exerting faith, demons are not being cast out? One of the reasons is perhaps I know the nature of God, but I'm not submitted to the nature of God, nor to the order of God here on earth. And the demons know that I have faith, but they don't need to listen because Jacob is not submitted to the nature of God. So as I increase in my submission to the nature of God and the order of God, and what do I mean by the order of God? Order of God on earth is established through people. When I am not submitted to the order of God, problemo. Sometimes it sounds silly, huh? Silly. There's order of God. But there is order. And I'll try my best to make, that, make sure that we walk in order here. And if it grates you and puts you off, leave. Because it's, it's wiser to be submitted to the order of God than to stay in a place in rebellion because it will cause problems anyways. Questions? Comments? Okay. It's only 11.30 guys. It seems long but it's not. Actually, it doesn't seem long. Seems very nice. <laughs> Guys, when I'm in a crisis, my strengths, my relationship with God, my doubts, my defaults, and my relationship with others is brought to the surface. When I'm in a crisis, it doesn't increase my faith necessarily. Crisis only reveals where I'm at. When I'm in a crisis, my strengths, my relationship with God, my doubts and defaults in terms of how I think, and my relationship with others is brought to the surface. One of the strange things that happened when Marcus fell outside was... Um, I was highly aware of everything that was happening around me. I was so aware of almost everybody. And I was also aware of what I was doing. 
and I saw some glaring faults in the way I uh, did things and I was talking to Lorian about it this morning. But that aside, I also saw everyone reacting a certain way and uh, may I suggest to you that like I said two Sundays ago um, uh, um, some of the ways you responded were great but one of the things I did after was to go examine what is it that I saw in myself that perhaps can improve what was my reaction when I saw Marcus there how long did I take to kick into supernatural gear what was my first natural response how did I behave thereafter what was my response to Ryan and Lorianne? And strangely enough, I was highly aware of all that you were doing. I looked inside the church and I could see what you were doing inside the church. And it's a good opportunity to examine and change anything that we need to. Because a crisis reveals these mindsets, our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. Guys, when you're in a crisis, quickly put the crisis against the backdrop of God. Quickly put the crisis against the backdrop of God. And sometimes it may allow you to bypass the whole battle. When you're in a crisis, quickly put the crisis against the backdrop of God. Because what we normally do is we juxtapose our crisis. And juxtapose is not a fancy word. It means just putting it uh, against the back background of. We juxtapose our crisis next to worst case scenarios. Our own ability. What the enemy, what the devil may do. Other people's experience. So when a crisis comes our way, what we do is we immediately place our crisis against the backdrop of these four things when we should be placing it against the backdrop of God. So what we do is as soon as a crisis happens, the first thing we think is what's the worst that can happen? The second thing we do is we see, okay, what can I do to fix this? The third thing we do is oh, what is the devil trying to do? And the fourth thing to do with, what did Elmer do when this happened to him? Or what happened to Elmer when this happened to him? These are the four scenarios that we usually use as a backdrop to the problems we go through. And all four are not helpful. Because the worst case scenario immediately tells you, okay, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to so that's the worst that can happen. Now anything better is praise the Lord. No! The second thing is our ability. How can I crisis manage this? Third is, what is the devil trying to do? Where is he going to attack from? Which brings more fear. And the fourth is other people's experience, which is never helpful. You would? Okay, that's a very good experience. I'm talking about the negative experiences, yeah. Oh, by the way, for those who need clarification, uh, when Diana said Elma stabbed himself, she actually meant exactly that. <laughs> so, they, guys, this is not the way to go. Eh? On, on Wednesday night, 
No, on Monday night. On Monday night, I come back, man, from the airport, and I land in this airport called Chennai, and I'm at a friend's house, and my wallet's missing. And um, I know I pulled it out two minutes before the plane landed to pay uh, for a duty-free thing on the flight, and uh, I'm sure it's in the plane. And I keep my wallet in my front pocket, so I'm always aware of it. And uh, I was so uh, glad that this was not how I operated. This came in at a moment. Huh? The worst case scenario did kick in. Where I thought to myself, okay, I got my American Express, this and that, so what does that mean when I go to this hotel and how do I pay? This did kick in after a while, but initially this wasn't my reaction. Uh, I remember calling someone uh, and asking them to pray. And uh, this person had lost something and had found it too. And I was sure that they would start praying. And so, crazy man. Call up the airport, call up different places to try and find out. That's the second, our own ability. But thank God the first reaction was, Father, you know where it is. Can you locate it? And I find it after an hour of absolute calmness. And everybody else in that house was calm to knowing that God will provide, uh, God will make it happen. Found it in a place that's impossible to find it. This is when Diana will ask where, and I might say, I'll tell you next week. Found it, in a place where it's, <laughs> found it in a place where it's impossible for that wallet to be. Now you might say, no, no, it was a, uh, you must have just kept it there. No man, I'm beginning to believe more and more in a supernatural God who makes things turn up impossibly through teleportation. Only it's called, um, what's it when, what's the word when the guy appears in Azotus? Remember he was in, uh, it was not translation, was it? Yeah, he got translated, yeah. yeah. I, I'm believing more and more in a God who is supernatural, and I've, I'm trying to step back from always trying to um, diminish what God does through some reasonable explanation. I don't want to go to the other end it's either, where every time you smell something you say it's God. Uh, th that's ridiculous too. Sometimes it's just a bottle of perfume that tilted over. It's, it wasn't God, it was just perfume. But, but the point is, at the same time, I don't want to diminish what he's doing by coming up with a reasonable explanation. We're so lodged in this thing called reasonable explanation. Eh? You've heard that drowning thing, right? The Egyptians. No? The sign, uh, some famous scientist said that um, there was only two feet of water uh, in the Red Sea, and that's why the Israelites crossed over. Very reasonable explanation. Until some Bible scholar said God must have done something amazing when he drowned the whole army in two feet of water too. So, there's always this reasonable explanation thing. Let me conclude. Yeah, I might bring the actual demo unit and show you. Because otherwise you won't be able to imagine where I found it. Yeah, yeah the wallet is here. But, uh, yeah. So guys, fear is my heart's response when I come into agreement with the intimidating suggestions of the devil. Hear this, huh? Fear is my heart's response when I come into agreement with the intimidating suggestions of the devil. And it only happens through my senses. My senses are used to see something, hear something, feel something, touch something, smell something, and immediately come to the conclusion that this is going to happen. Fear is my heart response when I come into agreement with the intimidating suggestions of the devil. Could you then rephrase it as fear then is faith in the devil? 
sounds harsh. So if it's harsh, leave it alone. Go with the first line. Fear is my heart's response when I come into agreement with the intimidating suggestions of the devil. Next time you feel fear coming in, immediately spot where it's coming from, the source. Why are you feeling afraid as you saw this? Who suggested it? It cannot be God, guys. Why? Because there is no fear in perfect love. Because whenever there is fear, it carries a sense of torment. Refuse intimidation, Jacob. Rise up. Don't accept things that God is not giving. But that's such an extreme position. We are trying to be like Jesus. Jesus is an extreme position. How about refusing sickness? But that, we are part of the world. I understand, but how about trying to now not see sickness as the most natural thing that should happen to us? Why not even begin to think that way? What are you scared of? That when it happens, it will destroy your faith? Your faith is not built on sickness and healing. Your faith is built on Jesus Christ. But that's such an extreme position. I'm beginning to get frightened of this church and what it stands for. It stands for what Jesus does and who Jesus said it was. This is not a faith movement church. This is not a name it, claim it church. But does it believe in things that Jesus stands on? Absolutely. Is that an extreme position? Yes, it is. We begin to start there. Does this mean that tomorrow, Jacob, for the rest of your life, you will not fall sick? I would love to say that, but I'm not able to. Because actually, I'm not able to. Yet, I'm not able to. I'd love to stand here and say, that's, that's it, I'm absolutely convinced of it. Maybe I'll do it tomorrow. So Jacob, how are people going to die? Or they'll die when their heart stops? Is that called a heart attack? Uh, I, I'm, I'm not a doctor, so I won't be able to help you with that. It'll, it's just like when... Uh, Elijah's heart stopped. Uh, so Elijah's heart didn't stop. He went away happy. <laughs> Elijah's heart stopped. Uh, Mose, uh, David's heart stopped. Don't even know how Moses went. All we know is Moses disappeared. Enoch disappeared. Elijah disappeared. I know this is an extreme position, but can't be afraid of it. I said let's conclude, so let's conclude. Guys, please understand, why are you saying all this, Jacob? Because, guys, we, we give life to things that God has already established by believing it in our heart and speaking it out. By me stepping away from speaking it out, I, I, I say yes to decay. That is already prevalent. And I cannot afford to do that. For whose sake? For my sake? No, for our sake. How do we learn? Through things that are spoken that begin to change our thinking. What should be taught? That which the Word of God teaches. What does the Word of God teach? A God who called himself Yahweh Rapha. A God who says nothing is impossible. Finally, Romans 8 verse 11. It says, The Spirit gives life. 
to my mortal body now and it raises me imperishable after death. That's not how it's worded. It says, and the spirit of life will quicken your mortal body. Will quicken your mortal body. What does it really mean there? It means that, listen guys, after you die, the spirit of God will still quicken as in bring alive your mortal body in the sense of you getting a new body and immortality. That's one way of looking at it. But I would suggest to you that Romans 8.11 is also saying that the Spirit of God who now resides in this thing called the temple has the ability to quicken or to energize or to give life to this mortal body now and also after death. So to be... Because you and I are believers now filled with the Holy Spirit, because we are led by the Holy Spirit, expect two or three things. One, expect to live free of the fear. Expect to live free of fear. Expect to live free of fear. It's possible. I don't know whether I told you this. Maybe I said it at the Bible study. Uh, about four or five months ago, I don't remember the time frame. I suddenly found that I was getting easily scared by noises that were big or noises that happened suddenly. And that's not, that hasn't been something that I've had to deal with in my life. And I suddenly found four or five occasions over a short period where something small would trigger out this <gasps> in me. And uh, initially I ignored it, but it came to a point where I felt that, shucks, this is becoming like a habit. And so immediately went and started reading how to be secure in God, so that my thinking and my mind and my emotions and my biochemistry won't react that way to fear. Because I don't want to fall into a trap of cultivating different areas of phobia. The Spirit of God lives in me. He will quicken this mortal body. Leave alone that He will help raise it imperishable after death. He will quicken this mortal body because I'm led by the Spirit. I am a carrier, a, a temple of the Spirit of God. That's who I am. And so it will cause me to have three things happen to me. I am someone who is able to live free of fear. And so are you. Continuously getting to that place. I am someone able to live as free as the Son of God Himself. Free of the approval of men. Free of the disapproval of men. Free of the fear of the father as someone who would do something wrong to me. Free of torment because love has now been perfected between the father and me. Oh, how I long for that day when I can taste it even for 24 hours. I have not spent a single 24-hour period in my life where I have been as free as the Son of God. Free of the approval and disapproval of people. Free of what you'll think. Free of how what you say may affect me. Free of what you'll think free of how what you say may affect me. Free of these dark shades sometimes that I see in my relationship with God where I am still not absolutely convinced that there is no fear 
or torment in God's love for me and my relationship with Him. Where this unadulterated goodness thing I talked about is the way I think always. Still not come to a 24-hour period in my life where I've thought that. And I've already lived 40-something years. I mean, I'm probably in the second half of my life and I still haven't lived like that. And it pains me. So live free of the fear, live free of the, live free as a son, and live in surprising wholeness here on earth. Live in surprising wholeness here on earth. As in, don't live in healing, live in health. We talk about it, I don't even know what it means. Eh? We, we, we keep talking about a God who heals, but how about a God who kept a million people in the desert in health for 40 years? What about that God? Don't even know what that means. So much we don't know. So much we don't know. So we come up with these cute phrases. Let's not talk about healing. Let's talk about living in health. Don't know what it means. Here's a prophetic word for you guys. Dawn to dusk, my power is available. Nothing blots it. No locust swarm can blot my power. For it stands out as light, straight, Steady, far-reaching into every nook. Intense, penetrating, burning, healing. Let me read that again. Dawn to dusk, my power is available. Nothing blots it. B-L-O-T-S. Nothing blots it. No locust swarm can blot my power. For it stands out as light, straight, steady, far-reaching into every nook. Intense, penetrating, burning, healing. Do you need courage to face the impossible? Then be anchored in this promise that I will be with you. Do you need courage for the impossible, Jacob? Then be anchored in this promise that I speak. I will be with you. One last time. Dawn to dusk, my power is available. Nothing blots it. No locust swarm can blot my power. For it stands out as light, steady, straight, far-reaching, into every nook, intense, penetrating, burning, healing. Do you need courage to face the impossible? Then be anchored, my son, my daughter, in this promise that I will be with you. It's a shame that words like I love you and I will be with you mean nothing to us anymore. There used to be a hymn, remember? No, never alone, I promise never to. Leave you never to leave you alone. It means nothing when we sing it. It's like, no, never alone. And you're thinking, how long is this going to drag on? And yet, it's the most oft-repeated words in the Bible. I will be with you. That should be a fear remover. 
Show the world guys that that great day that the world is waiting for has come. What great day? The rule and the reign of Christ. How, what do you mean show it? That the rule and the reign of Christ has broken into your life. That the rule and the reign of Christ has broken into your life. Will you lock your door before you come to church if the rule and the reign of Christ was living in your house? Would you? If Christ lived in your house, would you lock your door? If Christ lived in your house, would you have a medicine cabinet? If Christ lived in your house, that's the reason we haven't taken out insurance yet, guys. Not taken insurance. Sorry, not put alarms. Had to take insurance for the first time in our life because the owner insisted that we take insurance. Never taken insurance over the last eight years. Got to trust God on these things. Extreme view, it's not practical, it's not reasonable. You're right. Scares the heck out of me on some days. Would you empty your medicine cabinet? Absolutely. Would you have fear if Jesus was walking with you 24-7? No, all I'd do is run behind Jesus every time something happened. Yes, he does. Thank God for doctors, man. Thank God for doctors. Pardon? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, I know I've said this before, but here stands a man who for the last 25 years has never taken medicines or visited a doctor, yet will drive you to a doctor the moment you want him to, whose brother-in-law is a doctor. Who thanks God for nurses in this church. So, there is a way to live that we can aspire for, that we should practice. It is an extreme view, but Jesus is extreme. So, if you have any um, questions about this, feel free to come and ask me, and I'll sit down one-on-one -on -one and give you everything. That uh, th There's a teaching I did in Vernon. It's called, And God Was With Him. It's from Acts 10.38. Jesus went around doing good, delivering those that were harassed by the devil, um, because, uh, because God was with him. And in that teaching, we cover the, the whole gamut of this, huh? like in its entirety. And I did it in Vernon. And one day when the time is right, we'll do. Guys, um, we are done. One of the things I, I, I want us to um, do is get ready for 